Welcome to Dig In, the podcast brought to you by Dig Insights. Every week, we interview founders, marketers, and researchers from innovative brands to learn how they're approaching their role and their category in a clever way. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Dig In, the podcast about all things marketing and insights. My name is Paul Gadet, co-founder and CEO of Dig Insights, filling in for Megan, who is on a much-needed vacation, and I'm excited to be joined today by Gil Ozier, managing partner at Behringer Capital, a private equity company that actually purchased a majority stake in Dig Insights and is now our financial partner. So, Gil, welcome to the podcast. Uh, for those who thank you, may... Paul. <laughs> But for those who may not know, uh, up until this past September, Dig Insights had actually been a fully bootstrapped organization. Uh, four of us started this company back in 2010, and now we have over 200 employees across Canada, U.S., and the U.K. And as we started to think about our future and how to secure the future of the company, the four founders decided the time was right to really bring in outside expertise and capital to help scale the company. And after an extensive search... We found the right partners in Behringer Capital and are very excited about what this partnership means. And Gil, I thought it'd be great to have you on, not only to discuss this new partnership between Dig and Behringer, but also give listeners an idea of what private equity even is, why private equity has been active in the insight space, and really what this partnership between our company means for the future of Dig. But why don't we start, just uh, provide our listeners a bit a brief background on you and also an introduction to Behringer Capital. That sounds great. Um, thanks, Paul. Great, great to be here with everyone. Um, my name is Gil Ozier. I'm a partner in Behringer Capital, Paul, as you said. Um, by background, I'm a, a lawyer by training, although I, I never really formally practiced. Um, I got interested in business during the uh, dot-com era um, when I just graduated law school, and there were so many interesting things happening in the internet and in the world of business, there was so much change going on. And I felt like I was stuck in this uh, 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 time capsule from the past, reading law books and citing cases from <laughs> decades ago. And and so I made a shift into the, the business world um, through uh, strategy consulting. And I joined a firm that most people probably have heard about called McKinsey and & Company. And, um, and did strategy consulting in different industries, CPG, media. And in particular, um, we used to support a lot of private equity funds. When they were doing um, a transaction, McKinsey would support them doing the due diligence. Is this a good company? Is this a good market, et cetera? And that really lit a flame under me because I thought it was so interesting um, how these funds invest in these companies and need to understand what they do and how to improve them and what the risks are. I just think it was a very interesting kind of intellectual exercise. And so I spent between McKinsey and another firm that I, um, uh, a global boutique called AMR, which I managed the U.S. office of for several years, probably um, the plurality of my career advising private equity funds and, and corporates. Um, when they were doing transactions on the company they were buying, the opportunity, the market, the risks, et cetera. And then um, I met up with the folks at Behringer, who, um, as you know, is a Toronto-based Canadian fund. Um, Behringer operates it as a sector specialist fund, and we can talk more about what that means, but really what it means is we only invest in 
certain sectors. And for us, that is the convergence of information, media, and marketing. That's what we know. Uh, the founders of Behringer were entrepreneurs like yourself, Paul, started businesses in the marketing services world, sold those businesses to financial institutions and big, big conglomerates, and then wanted to help other investors, uh, sorry, other entrepreneurs by raising funds, a pool of capital to invest in those companies with the idea that as, as former operators and entrepreneurs, we can add value and help those, those founders take their business to the next level. And so that's how Behringer started and, and Behringer has been in the market for uh, about 20 years investing in, in different companies in the information, media, marketing services world. Uh, I joined Behringer in 2016 um, and, uh, and helped them really launch the New York office where, where I'm based. Um, and so that's, that's a little bit of the background of myself and how um, I joined Behringer and, and what Behringer is about. You know, when we first met, we actually um, were having conversations with many different private equity companies. And uh, I remember meeting you while you were virtual. It was just while you were based in New York, hitting, uh, giving us some hard hitting questions. And the fact that you're a lawyer now makes complete sense as to how hard those questions were. So I could appreciate that. I think it was a deposition. I, th I thought they were like nice, friendly, interesting questions. <laughs> I know you felt like you were on the, the witness stand. Uh, it was a little bit. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. You kind of you kind of touched on it a bit about how you know these uh, different private equity companies raise funds and invest in companies and help them to grow. But at the, at the core of it, like you know, just maybe give people an, an insight as to what private equity even is, and, and maybe even just like what's the big difference between like private equity and say venture capital, which is kind of the terms that people are familiar with in the financial space. Sure. Um, People have a caricature in their mind of what a private equity fund is from the, you know, Mitt Romney, Bain Capital, you know, the, we're guys that go in, buy companies, strip them out, cut the costs, pillage them, and then try to make a, a profit on it. Uh, and, and certainly there are, are some firms that are known for doing that. But um, to take a step back, private equity is really an asset class. Just like any other asset class, bonds, um, mutual funds, stocks, it's an asset class. It means that people invest in private equity, bring their capital to bear. The difference between, say, buying, uh, investing in a private equity fund, if you are an investor, or investing in stocks, is that when you invest in a private equity fund, it's a, it's a closed fund, which means it's not traded on the open market. You're giving your capital to a group of fund managers, i.e. myself and my partners, and we invest in private companies, not public companies, private companies, and um, help those companies improve, grow, become more profitable, so that we're in a position to sell them down the line, however many years out, usually typical private equity timeframe is somewhere between three and nine years, depending on the industry, um, sell them at a profit and return capital back to investors. That's essentially what it is. It's a private money asset class. The difference between private equity and say venture funds, venture capital is, and I'm generalizing here, but venture capital tends to support more startup companies, companies that don't have 
uh, a long history of profitability, track record. They're trying to find the next Uber, Facebook, you know, pick your unicorn du jour. Right. And they will typically make a lot of small bets in a wide variety of companies. And the idea is to hit one big one. Um, and they're pretty hands off. The founder typically controls all those businesses. They're just, you know, putting putting bets on a roulette wheel, if you will. Yeah, I should give them more credit than that. But why? <laughs> but I get it. I mean, the, 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 with us, I mean, so you know, just in, in private equity in general, from what I'm hearing from you, is that private equity companies tend to look for established, you know, companies that maybe they're profitable or see the some path to profitability that you can invest someone else's, whether it's an institution or investor's money into buying a company, growing that company and selling it, making a profit. That's back. exactly right. The, the big difference tends to be in the maturity of the company and the profitability and track record. Uh, I would call the companies that we invest in like Dig more, you know, investor, um, 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 investor friendly assets in that they are profitable you can count on them. They're not going to go away tomorrow. Like some of these private equity funds are not burning through cash. And so they attract the types of investors that want to invest in private companies like that. And I think you, you mentioned it earlier too. And I think there's like, you know, there's definitely people who hear private equity and they hear, Oh my God. So someone's going to take over. They're going to you know take over this company. They're going to strip it down, really focus on margin optimization, try to sell it and, uh, and make some money on it. Um, but from you know what we've been seeing, and at least you know from my perspective, and even having conversations with different private equity firms, especially in the inside space, it is really around growth opportunities. And I think you know as we started seeing more private equity come into the inside space, um, we saw a lot of our either suppliers, partners, competitors um, taking on a private equity partner, and it feels like there's a lot of attention going on in private equity with respect to the insight space. And why do you think that there is so much interest in private equity around insights in general? Yeah, uh, I think you're right. First of all, it's your characterization of private equity um, being more growth and value creation oriented than a lot of people understand that that is. Um, you definitely get the, the pillaging and cost cutting. Those tend to be Big old line companies, you know, like like Staples back in the day, Fisco, uh, you know, where there were there, there were these fat companies and private equity. When you're investing in smaller, more growth oriented companies like Dig, for example, our job as investors is to help further and accelerate that 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 growth journey. And so the attention that we bring is how can we support that? How can we bring our skills, knowledge, experience, capital? to make investments for growth, to support the management teams, um, to, uh, to come up with new strategies, new business lines and support the innovation of the company. So it does in, in our uh, part of the market tends to be more kind of future growth oriented. Um, you asked about why private equity is interested in, in insights. Well, the insights industry is a very established industry. And so, uh, there is a, a market there uh, of large companies that rely on insights providers as essential vendors to their own strategies. Think about some of your clients, you know, big CPG fund, big CPG yeah. companies, retailers, et cetera. 
So it's not like somebody come, came up with some idea around insights yesterday and is spinning up uh, uh, a new venture. So there's an established need. It's a large industry, right? Billions and billions and billions of dollars globally being spent by yeah, forecast forecast to be a hundred billion dollars by the end of next year. There you go. So it, it can support uh, a lot of demand and a lot of growth in the industry. Um, and I think there has been some renewed insights, particularly in the last five, five, six years. And and for us, the way we see it, there's a couple of things. Number one, we saw a big shift in the marketing world uh, from brand awareness. Brands being focused more on their awareness and the aura of their brand to what is the experience of their brand. Right. And if you think about any product from airlines to water, take airlines, for example, right? You go on Air Canada or Porter Airlines, you have an experience on the seat, you know, in the cabin, right? How's the food? How's the service? But you also have an experience on your phone if the flight get delayed, right? And am I able to rebook quickly? Am I getting notifications? When I go online to buy a ticket, is it easy? Is it seamless? Do they remember who I am? Do they know that I'm, I'm from the US and not from Brazil, right? All of these things have created a new, um, a, a, a new paradigm around the customer experience. And so brands have had to understand in the last five, six years, what is the experience of their brand? And it goes beyond the product itself. And I think insights has become a very important aspect of that. And then you look at companies like Qualtrics, right, which are about defining and quantifying the experience across a broad range of touch points from employees to customers to stakeholders. And so all of this has really shifted attention on the insights category. And then you add um, to this just COVID and the change in consumer behavior. And yeah. I mean, it's a massive, massive shift. And so not only has that change been accelerated, particularly online, but companies are understanding that consumers are using their products in different ways, have different sensibilities, different needs, they're working at home, right? So all of these things mean that there's a real opportunity for brands to get to know their customers again and and their needs again and what what those needs are going to be in the future and insights is just a fundamental way to for brands to get their heads around around that and uh and for so side that, note side note for those listening that porter airlines is actually a small canadian <laughs> airline that flies into toronto which is a fantastic airline but in case you're not familiar with porter airlines love porter shout out to porter <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I think, you know, I, you know, when I was uh, looking at some of the metrics around the growth opportunities for insights in general, I think, you know, when we saw a, uh, you know, 20, the, during COVID, the period of 2019 to 2020, it really was, uh, I think, a turning point for the insights space where, you know, platform based DIY technology or, you know, more technology based uh, solutions were really growing quite quickly and the more established uh, you know, research, market research industry or providers were actually, you know, saw some negative growth, some, a decline of 5%. And as they look at the future over the next few years where the growth of the insights uh, space is really coming, it is coming much more from a, a digital space. And I know you talked about it at the beginning, but you have sector expertise and uh, it's definitely in that digital transformation 
And so, you know, we thought about the opportunity even to partner with, with Dig, you know, what was it about us that you thought, yeah, you know what, there's something here that we think as, a, as an organization we could get behind and help really grow this company? Yeah. So back to uh, Behringer and, and our, um, our style of investing. So I mentioned earlier that we're sector focused investors, but within the sectors that we, uh, that we know and love, information, media and marketing, we also look for themes. And one of the major themes that we look at is around digital transformation. And everybody yeah. understands that uh, today, uh, if you are not on the forefront of transforming your business to be more digitally centered in the way that you're offering products and services to your company, you're going to lose out to someone who's disrupting you. It, it happens. And, and what do you, and what do you when you say that digitally focused or digitally centered? What do you what do you kind of what do you mean? Well, you know, if there's a company that's like, are you using the power of data, digital tools, digital business models to enhance your customers' experience and the and the value that they're receiving from their product? Uh, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, we used to own a well-known um, uh, media company in the marketing uh, sector called Abic. And when we acquired it, it was a very kind of print-centric in the way that they were thinking about it. They thought of themselves as magazine publishers, right? Long-form content. That's not how people... Like traditional magazines. Yeah, exactly. Um, even if it was digital, even if it was digital, it, was, it, 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 it kind of felt like a magazine, right? Right. And they didn't have any data on who was looking at their publication. They didn't have any digital subscriptions or products, right? They just ported, they, they used either a magazine or they ported that same content onto a pixelated screen, right? Um, digital transformation in that example looks like, hey, how, how are we using the power of video to tell stories better? How are we using short form content that's more mobile friendly? Again, back to the phone example. How are we creating new digital products like digital education that you can um, that you can log into and take courses in chunkable pieces, right? So really transforming your products and services using the power of all these digital tools to enhance the customer experience. And when we look at a company like Dig and you think about traditional market research, you know, the focus groups. The asking, you know, the panels where you ask people a million questions and then, you know, organize those studies and takes all this time to generate the answers back, right? And you think about Dig is really disruptive in that way, not only in the front end experience where a lot of the studies that you're using are more mobile focused, more digital, more visual, right? Where consumers can um, can get a quick experience. You don't have to think about a question, right? It's you like A or B, A or B, A or B, almost like a Tinder like experience, but on the back end, the way that you're designing these studies to get speed to insight much more rapidly because of the way you're understanding the data, the data science that underpins it, that to us is transformative technology and a transformative business model. And our view is that the industry is, is needing that and wanting that. And if we can scale that together, as partners, then that's not only a big opportunity for, for DIG, but I think it's a big opportunity for the whole industry. Uh, and we can really spearhead that, um, that digital transformation in this massive industry of insights.
there's, you know, there's, I think there's a lot of um, discussion around insights being, you know, there's the technology solutions and then there's the service solutions. And, you know, as, as a company like ours, who started off as a, you know, traditional insights consultancy that's built its own technology, we have both. And so we, we do classify ourselves as a tech-enabled company. And, you know, what that means is that we are leveraging technology to deliver insights to our clients. And, and, and we're servicing our clients with the technology that we build. And, is you know, for you in, in the way you think about insights and the growth of insights, is there a difference for you in terms of opportunity between just a sole tech provider and maybe a more tech-enabled company? For sure. And I think... Um... I think this category of tech enabled is a, is a kind of interesting development that's occurred over the years because the world used to be divided into software and services and yeah. software meant, you know, Adobe, Qualtrics, you know, in the cloud, SaaS, nobody touches it, right? It's delivered to you. Uh, and then services meant, you know, a bunch of people grinding things out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> books or whatever, like and now, because the, the technology has become so much more accessible and scalable, you can have this amazing, um, really, really confluence of the two, where you can where you can serve clients with that service layer that they need. Most clients need services, right? They're not ready to take the whole thing on themselves, but do it in a way that is more efficient, more effective. Uh, for them and for you using the power of technology. And that, that's what you've really brought together in DIG. And we see this business model, this, this idea of tech-enabled services in a lot of industries and a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, niches of the information marketing media, system, media ecosystem. Uh, and I think it's, it's really where the world is going. Yeah. And I, I, I just, you know, the, it gives uh, it is to me very impressive to see the growth of the company that we've had to date, leveraging both our technology and our you know client service talent and being able to combine those things and deliver to your point, the, you know, the speed of insights to clients, uh, the quality of insights, being, making sure there's a level of expertise to those insights and really differentiating ourselves versus others by having that combination of, of services and technology. And I think, you know, when we went on this journey of, how, you know, are we going to be able to actually bring in a partner that values that? Um, it was, I think it's surprising to see how many uh, firms did value the combination of services and technology. And, you know, I think maybe if this was a few years ago where maybe firms were fairly new to insights that were looking at technology as a pure, is there, you know, recurring revenue? Is it a SaaS type business model? Am I getting an ARR multiple and, and focused on that versus services, which tended to be much more, Okay, well, you know, is there contracts and somewhat of recurring revenue, but a very you know different business model? I think now private equity is looking at insights and saying, no, there's there is something here around this idea of combination of of services and technology, and it's something I think we were a little bit more surprised to see, but happy to see as well. And I think firms like Behringer Capital recognize the opportunity with uh, more of a tech enabled offering. Look, like every industry is becoming more technologically driven, why shouldn't the services industry for sure be more technologically driven? You know, I think yeah. part of this digital transformation 
story that I was alluding to earlier. You're, I mean, Dig is a, just a great illustration of, of, of the digital transformation of services business, bringing the power of technology to augment and um, uh, improve the experience and product that your customer that you're offering your customers. Yeah. Okay. So now that Behringer is a partner of Dig, and so you know what that means is we're basically yeah, we're cutting. We're, we're, yeah, we're, we're gone. I'm out. I'm just now. Now all I do is 100% full time podcasts. Um, no, I mean. So the you know the the owners of the company are the owners of the company. The management team is still the management team. Um, you know, we bring on a private equity partner. They are investing. They're taking. They're buying into a company um, with the goal of being able to help grow it. And maybe you can kind of talk to you know this partnership and you see where we are today. How does Behringer foresee contributing to the growth of our company so that we get to a stage where? We are able to scale it. We are secure in the future of the company. Yeah. Um, we are investors. We're not managers. So, uh, Paul, you and your team and anybody, any any team, any any group, any founders that have taken on uh, capital um, from an investor needs to understand that there are the people that are running the company day to day, making the decisions, right, uh, dealing with the customers. And they are, and there's a role for the investors in that. And for us, what that means is, uh, how can we support Dig and the Dig team to grow their business, improve and enhance their product, continue to differentiate in the marketplace, uh, so that from our standpoint, we can create a more valuable company down the road. And that means a couple of things. Uh, number one, now, Paul, as you maybe already experienced, you and your partners running the business before, and there's an old expression, heavy lies the head that wears the crown. You know, it's a big responsibility. But now we share that responsibility with you, right? And so uh, whether that is bringing to bear expertise, yeah. you know, in areas where maybe you maybe Dig didn't have that expertise or that know-how or, you know, as a bootstrap company had to just kind of wing it or do the best yeah. you could, right? We can now bring that expertise because we've done it before in other companies. The other aspect of that is capital. Certain initiatives take money. It takes money yeah. to, to build something, right? And when you're bootstrapped, oh boy, I've got to choose between payroll and hiring somebody or making an investment. Right. For sure. Right. So, so now we can bring that capital to supercharge and accelerate some of those investments. Um, and then the other area is just being a partner, you know, um, and and making sure that that um, uh, we are both being a partner. If you think about it, what is a partner? Partner is mutual support, but it's also mutual accountability, and we're accountable to dig to bring the best of Behringer, make sure that you guys are getting value out of it. And you're accountable to us uh, to drive these initiatives, to get the growth, to serve your clients. And that partnership makes all of us, all of us stronger. And, yeah. you know, we had, for example, uh, Paul, if you remember a, a great workshop uh, we did in Toronto um, where we started to strategize about what could the future bring and, 
you know, where are there opportunities or even other acquisitions we could make in the industry, bring into the dig family, right? Um, so having having now not only your partners that are working in the business and employees, but a broader group that's working kind of outside and can see some of the bigger picture is only going to help to to further those aims. Yeah, and I think you know it's funny because even when we started this process, people would ask, well, you know, why are you even considering private equity? And I think to all of those points you just raised, we were a fully bootstrap company. So a lot of the things that we were doing took a lot of additional risk. You know, we were fairly conservative because we're paying for payroll. We have people employed and we're reinvesting in the business. But, you know, taking on somebody that has the expertise in growing a business like ours beyond where we've taken it. So we only know what we know. So bring on somebody uh, that has the expertise in growing and scaling businesses having access to additional capital should we see something out there that we think might make a great fit with dig and you know and add on into the to the company whether it's a technology solution or a servicing offering or something that we don't offer right now but to enhance our total offering is again something that we we've never done before but we're excited about looking into and having a partner that can actually help us do that and then i think to your last point that partnership perspective i think the, one of the reasons for us why we were so excited about working with you and your team at Behringer was that, you know, these, you know, you bring a different perspective. These are entrepreneurs, operators, or people who have a lot of industry knowledge. It's not typical finance people who just kind of, you know, have that, you know, look at your books and say, okay, we're just doing the, the finance perspective. It's people who are really interested in seeing how they can take something like dig in this amazing space and really grow it to be something special and unique. And I think for us, that was extremely valuable um, and also, I think, validating and seeing the response that we got to us even seeking a partnership. So very, very fortunate to be able to uh, to partner with Behringer. And, you know, Gil, just obviously really excited about the future and I do appreciate you even coming on here, be, uh, you know, being a, a voice for Behringer and, and discussing what the partnership means for uh, both us and you. And uh, I'm excited to see where the future brings. So thank you extremely. And I think, Paul, just one other note is that that's so important that we take so seriously is a big measure of our success is the success not only of of the dig founders, but of the broader dig team and creating opportunities for the broader dig team to grow in this bigger platform. Um, Great whereas point. if you were continuing to bootstrap it, you know, you could only take that so far. And now, the, you know, it's so great to meet some of the other team members in, in Toronto the other day, like all of those people are going to have more opportunity, right? Career opportunity, um, uh, satisfaction, monetary opportunity, right? And that that really gets us excited. How can, how can we create value for all stakeholders here? Yeah, no, that's a great point. And thanks uh, for, for mentioning it. So uh, yeah, you know, it's excited to see what the future holds. Thanks, Gil, for joining us here on Dig In. And uh, next episode, I'm sure Megan will be back from much needed vacation so thanks so much we get a real professional asking the questions (laughs) that's right exactly yeah (laughs) amateur hour is over amateur hour is over (laughs) thanks Thanks, paul pleasure to be with you thanks for tuning in this week find us on linkedin at dig insights and don't forget to hit subscribe for a weekly dose of fresh content